Good morning, Ms. Yeo and friends, guests. Um, it's good to see faces. It's good to see this space begin to fill up more regularly. And um, you know, even, even online, we're, we're still having people uh, online with us regularly. Um, yeah, that makes my heart happy. That, that, it's just a blessing to be with you, <coughs> with you all. You know, I, I had one of those, those weeks uh, coming into Sunday. It, it was just one of those weeks. Uh, I don't know. This is how I describe it. It's the week that you sit there and go, I have all this room in my schedule to get things done, things that I've been waiting to do or wanting to do, and I have some space. And, of course, it's one of those weeks, all of a sudden, the bottom falls out, right? The bottom falls out, and, and you just sit there and go, oh my gosh, there's so much on my plate. On Tuesday night, uh, Christine Kahn, uh, Dom's wife, um, she's been dealing with some gallbladder issues, and on Tuesday night, I got a call um, at 1 in the morning saying, we got to take her into the ER. And so I ran over and I watched the boys. I don't even think the boys know that I was there. But um, so Christine ended up in the ER um, with gallstones. If you don't know anything about gallstones, um, it's excruciatingly painful. And it kind of just sits from here and then to the shoulders and then just all over. And um, when you have gallstones, it just hurts. And the recommended procedure from there is basically when the gallbladder makes these stones, it will keep doing it. So the recommendation is actually to remove the gallbladder. <clears throat> so by Friday evening, um, Christine had two surgeries, one to remove the stones and then a second one to remove the gallbladder. She's home. She's recovering. Everything is settled for the Khan's house for, for now. And um, in the midst of that, I, practicing Nehemiah challenges, say, how can I help? What do you need? And um, I said, Dom, let me take Sunday's message for you. And of course, that's midweek already. And as soon as he said, OK, yeah, just take the, take the Sunday message, hang up the phone, and then Lisa pulls into the driveway, and there's smoke coming from her car like smoke, like white, smelly smoke. And the gasket, the head gasket or something has blown or cracked or expensive, right? <laughs> and so I sat there and I was like, of course, it's one of those weeks, right? Guys, this is, this is a normal thing, though. It, it's called adulting, right? We, we have these 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 times where we just have to kind of make decisions on the fly. And, and one of the things that, that we struggle with, I struggle with, is discerning what's the right decision now. Do I buy a brand new car or a used car? Because basically what it's going to cost to fix this car is as much as the car is worth, if not more, right? Um, and so there's a discerning that has to happen in the midst of daily grind right? And then the stress and the pressure of trying to get things done kind of mounts up. We're going to look at how 
Nehemiah actually handles these type of decisions when they come. And so we've been in the book of Nehemiah, and it just happens to be about discerning. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm excited to kind of just jump in and, and just use this as a case study of how does Nehemiah make decisions? How does he discern what the next right step is as he's trying to build this wall? So if you have your Bibles with you today, or um, you can look on the screen here, we're going to go through chapter 6, and I'm going to spend some time in the first chunk and look at, at, at all these, um, these decisions he's making, and then we'll look at the second part of it and just what happens when he makes the right decision over and over, okay? So we're in Nehemiah 6, 1, and we'll start there. <clears throat> And now, when Sambalot and Tobiah and Gershom the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up doors in the gates, Sambalot and Gershom sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together in Hakaphrim, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a work a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should, the, should, uh, why should the work stop while I leave and leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them the sa- in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hands, and it was written, it is reported among the nations of and Gershom also is saying that you and the Jews intend to rebel and that it that that is why you build the you're building the wall and according to these reports you wish to become their king and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem there is a king in Judah and now the king Artaxerxes will hear of these reports, so, so now come and let us take counsel together. Then I, sent him, then I sent him saying, no such thing as, as you say has been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shema, the son of Dalia, the son of Mahitabal, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should, should such a man as I run away? And what a man such as I could go into a temple and live? I will not go. And I understood and saw that God had sent him, but he had pronounced the, God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadai, 
and the rest of the prophets who want, wanted to make me afraid. So we'll, we'll pause there, and we see that Nehemiah is, is tempted or attacked. He's, he's given three, uh, three different ways to make uh, decisions to make. And these, these decisions actually are, are meant to get him to stop building the wall. So it's important to see how Nehemiah reacts and discerns each of these situations. What gives him the ability to make the right decision and see the motives of others as he's doing it? I want to propose to you that Nehemiah has great self-awareness and God-awareness. What I mean by self-awareness is that he, we understand our personal tendencies, our biases, our desires, our temptations. Right? So, so being self-aware is that we understand our own personal and the world's tendencies and biases, our the things that give us temptation and desire. Having God-awareness is understanding God's word, his works, his ways, compared to the world's. So Nehemiah has self-awareness and God-awareness. And we're going to take a look now and see how he makes decisions using this. But first, let me, let me remind you in, in verse 1, what has, what's happened is that Sambalat and Tobiah and Gershom the Arab, they, they hear that the wall is almost done. They're almost completed, right? And these nations surrounding Israel, they're intimidated. They, they don't want the walls to go up because they've been oppressing and taking advantage of the Israelites for years upon years, and they've benefited from it. Now, if these walls go up, then Israel will be strengthened again, right? And they won't have the benefit of taking advantage of these people. So they come, and they're attacking again, and they're going after Nehemiah, trying to fool Nehemiah. And we look at verse 2 through 4. <clears throat> so Sambalat and Gresham, they're persistent. They try to lure Nehemiah away. Some scholars say that they're trying to, to lure him away and kill him. So four times they invite him into, uh, to meet at the place called Ono. Now Ono is a three-day journey from Judah, from where the temple is where the wall is being built. And so if it's three days there and three days back, that's a whole week of Nehemiah being gone, right? Not to mention the time that he would spend with them. Awareness here. He's thinking and understanding that if he does this, he could actually gain favor with the other powerful leaders that surround Israel. Right? So he understands, hey, they're calling me out. Let's meet and have a council at Ono. And then I can be in the club. And then I can have this favor and this, this power of leadership. He also has a God awareness. With God awareness, he has to trust that God 
is, has his favor and his influence on Nehemiah's life. And so what happens is he starts to think and he recognizes that Israel has been evil to him, or not if the, uh, the enemies have been evil to him and Israel for this whole time. So what's changed? They don't want Nehemiah to be sex- successful. They don't want Israel to be successful. So Nehemiah, in this self-awareness and God-awareness, declines the invitation to come out. And he declines it four times as they pressure him. And he continues to work to finish the wall. Then it says in verse 5 through 9, Then Sambalat sent him his servant with an open letter saying that this letter was going out to all the surrounding areas, all the other nations. And it says that the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you're building this wall. And not only that, Nehemiah, you wish to be their king. And once Artaxerxes finds out, you're in trouble. It's kind of like a social media blast and, and, and saying, this is what's happening, right? And if Nehemiah doesn't bow down and, and like try and fix this, he's going to get canceled. Literally, he could be killed by Artaxerxes for wanting to be king. So what does he do? Well, Sambalat and the leaders said, well, if you come out to counsel with us, we can help you out of this mess. His self-awareness is, do I fear men right now? Do I fear what people are saying about me or accusing me of? Am I worried about what other people will think? Do I need to clear my name? It's self-protection, right? But his God awareness says, Nehemiah, you know who you are. You know whose you are. And what they're accusing you of is lies. So he says, I won't be afraid. They just want the people to stop working. So then he acts and he tells them, I know these things are lies. I'm not coming out to meet you. But what's, what's interesting to me is then, then he prays to God, and he says, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. But now, O oh God, strengthen. He refuses to go out, but he says to God, strengthen my hands. He still needs strength to trust God in this decision. He still needs strength to continue to do the work that he has set out to do. Right? So he goes to God in prayer, even though he has said, I'm not going. Now we get to the third temptation, the third decision. Verse 10 through 15, Nehemiah enters his friend uh, Shema's house, uh, Shemaiah's house. And Shemaiah comes to him and says, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you tonight. 
Nehemiah has this self-awareness, and he says, should such a man as I run away? Should such a man as I, a man that God has given an assignment to, that I'm supposed to be the one that leads my people to build this wall and, and, and pull together this nation again? And then he says, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? Remember, Nehemiah is still just a normal guy. He's not a noble. He's not a governor. He's not a world leader. He's a normal guy that has this call of rallying his people to build the temple. And he has this God awareness now. He goes, wait, the law of God says only priests can enter, to, enter into the temple. And if you're not a priest and you enter in, you could be struck dead. What kind of man am I that could step in? I'm not a priest. I'm not about to break the law of God and step into a temple and hide because I'm afraid. And furthermore, if I step in there, I might literally die because I'm not a priest. I'm not holy enough. I'm not set apart like God has said. So then... It says in Nehemiah 12, I understood and saw that God had not sent him, Shemaiah. Even though Shemaiah is his friend, even though Shemaiah is a fellow Israelite, he did not send him. How does he know? God isn't going to send someone, a friend even, to convince you to be disobedient to God. Does that make sense? Like, why would God send somebody to tell you to disobey God? He's not going to go up against himself. So his awareness of the law, his awareness of God's heart, his awareness of obe his, this obedience to God says, yeah, this person is not for me. We come to find out later that Tobiah and Sambalot had hired uh, Shemaiah. Man, these names are hard. <laughs> but they, they hired him in a plot to give him a bad name, to even kill him by getting him to step into a temple and hide. Nehemiah is faced with either self-protection through disobedience or just to obey God and do what is right. So he says, I will not go in. I will not be disobedient, even for my self-protection. Now we look at all three of these situations that come at Nehemiah and the way that he discerns them through self-awareness and God-awareness. And it reminds me a lot of like what Dom was talking about last week. If you haven't heard uh, Dom's message from last week, Go online and, and, and download it, listen to it. But in, in that message, he was talking about um, the imminent framework, or the, the in, imminent frame versus the eternal frame. Now, the imminent frame tells us that everything can be found in humanism, that within our own efforts, within our own selves, within just humanity and people, we can do anything. We 
have the full control. We don't need a God. And this imminent frame is, is described and based on this idea that it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about now. As opposed to God, his presence and purpose and eternal perspective. The imminent frame focuses primarily on ourselves and what we get. While the eternal framework, it, it looks at God and his perspective for eternity. Now we're going to get back to that in a little bit, but I want to finish up chapter 6. And as we finish up chapter 6, we see that in verse 15 through 19, it says this. So the wall was finished on the fifth, 25th day of the month Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him because, they, because he was the son-in-law of Shenekah, the son of Urah, and his son Jehanan had taken the daughter of Mushalim, the son of Belak, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported the words to him. And Tobias sent letters to make So the ending of that gets a little bit confusing, right? All the names. What that is describing from 17 to 19 is this complicity of the nobles of Judah with Tobiah. Nehemiah is able to begin to see that there is a strong alliance that has emerged based off of marriages of Tobiah's, uh, Tobiah the Ammonite and his sons to the fam from families of Jewish nobility. Does that make sense? So basically, there's, there's an alliance that emerges because Tobiah's sons are marrying noble women like families of nobility in Israel. And they begin to work together to undermine Nehemiah, to undermine what's happening in Israel with the walls being built up. But really, that's not our main focus here. Our focus is actually what happened with the finishing of the wall. So verse 15 through 16, that Elul was the sixth month of the year. It, it's, this description is basically saying it's only been six months since Nehemiah started this conversation with the king and asked to go back to build this wall. And it only took 52 days to build this wall. 52 days, that's like less than two months, right? And they build this wall. The people come together and they build this wall. And what happens? The enemies recognize that this is a huge feat. And there's no way that these people could have done it without the help 
and the hand of God. Because they were faithful, because they made decisions, because they sacrificed, because they came together and supported one another, that had to be the hand of God moving them. Because people can't do that. People can't do that without the help of God. And they were humbled. Humbled meaning they were scared that what they did couldn't stop God and couldn't stop the people of God. In the end, God is glorified. Nehemiah is not. They see the hand of God and the enemies are humbled. They're put in their place. Nehemiah had choices to make. He had to discern his heart and God's heart. Was it about seeking power and influence or trusting God and the presence and his purposes of God? Was it about fearing man or fearing God? To, to choose self-protection and disobedience or choose obedience because you love God? Just like Nehemiah, we all have to make decisions in our lives. We're affected by these choices we make, and we affect others. I want you to hear that really clearly, is that the choices that you make, the decisions that you make, don't only affect you as an individual, but it affects your family, your community, and the people of God. Nehemiah understood this. And we need to understand that. Are we self-aware? Are we God-aware? Are we using an imminent frame that talks about me, what I want now? Or are we talking about an eternal frame? Christ, his presence, his purpose, his eternal perspective. I think about how Jesus walks in this way with an eternal perspective and he teaches his disciples over and over to have this eternal perspective i'm reminded of of matthew 6 31 through 33 when he talks about not worrying about tomorrow right that god is in control that god loves them that god will protect them and he starts out and he says he ends and he says this jesus says therefore do not be anxious saying what shall I eat? What shall I drink? What should I wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So then, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. continually in Jesus' life, we see this self-awareness, this God-awareness, this framework that pushes him towards an eternal perspective. He was tempted three times in the desert and chose God. He was challenged by people in power over and over and directed people to God and said, I can only do what the Father is doing. He had people in his own inner circle trying to stray him away from obedience, and he chose to be obedient. Obedient to the, to the point of going to the cross and dying and raising again 
And what happens when he raised again? All the people, all the enemies go. Only through the power and the hand of God could Jesus have done that. Christ chooses God over and over. He has an eternal perspective. He's not willing to be disobedient. And so, Missio, what do we do when we make decisions? I sit there and I go, okay, God, do I buy a new car? What is my self-awareness telling me? I am aware that I like shiny new things, right? I like new things. I like the smell of a new car. Even, a, even if it's a used new car, I would like the smell, right? I'm drawn to something new all the time. So let's buy a car, right? My self-awareness knows that I avoid pain. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. If you don't know, sevens avoid pain. And this pain is trying to make a decision on buying a car and trying to figure out my finances. Trying to figure out, do I fix this car? And what, what, I hate it. I'm just going to buy a brand new car. Right? My self-awareness tells me that hey, I have family members that just bought electric cars and, te and Teslas, and they're so cool, I want a new car. But my God awareness, man, I wish I could just go with self-awareness, right? It's just easier. It's, it's, but, but you sit there and you go, man, it's hard to actually listen to the lies you tell yourself. It's hard to actually face the ugliness inside in the, in, in your, where you're looking for life where there is no life, right? Now, in the God awareness, it's even harder, right? God, God has been calling Lisa and I for years to steward our money and pay off my school loans. Not hers, it's mine, right? And there's a lot of loans. So... I've, we've been committed to doing this, and that's what God has called us to, to make sure we're not overspending and buying things that we don't really need. My God awareness makes me ask where I'm seeking life where there is no life. Is a new car actually replacing something that I'm actually longing for that I can get from Jesus? My God awareness makes me ask, if I do what I want right now, if I buy this car, what effect does it have on kingdom living? Can I be as for Jesus? How does this affect the community around me if I buy this? God awareness requires us to be honest with Jesus and trust that his ways are better than our ways. Missio, as you're making decisions, you have big life decisions and you have little life decisions, but all of them need to be run through this lens of self-awareness and God-awareness with an eternal frame. 
It's important to discern the will of God. It's important to discern the heart of God and recognize what actually is in here as well. Some of you are making decisions to buy a car, like me. Some of you are making decisions to buy a house or rent a house. Others are are looking at job promotions or leaving your job. Others are looking at moving to a new city, to a new place. Even to the point of decisions on, do I buy a pet? Do I get a dog? Do I get a hamster? Do I, you know? Even those things can affect. Some of you are making decisions whether I date this person or do I marry this person or do I just stay single right now for, for right now. The decisions we make are endless and the temptation to look through an imminent frame is tempting. Me. What I want now. That's the temptation that we're looking at. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Have an eternal perspective. Be self-aware and God-aware as you discern your next steps. Each week we've, in this series, we've been giving a Nehemiah challenge. And this one, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you this. What decision do you need to make this week? What decision do you need to make this week? Will you take the time to be self-aware and God-aware? Identify where you are tempted with me, what I want now, versus Christ his presence and his purpose and the eternal perspective. This is how we discern. This is how we learn to be more like Christ in our decision making. Let's pray. Lord, I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by this idea of, of, of self-awareness and God-awareness as, as we make decisions in our lives, understanding that it doesn't just affect me or my own personal family, but a greater part of the community and a greater part of where you are calling us to be the people of God. So I ask, Lord, that today, as we walk out this week, that we would look at the decisions that, are, that we're facing, whether it's buying a car, buying a house, these bigger life-changing decisions, or just we discern, would you give us the power to discern, Holy Spirit, come and give us the eyes to see and be self-aware, the eyes to see and be God-aware, to choose eternal perspective, to seek first the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.